BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We time meets me time where magic meets the sea on a Disney cruise. Adults can relax and enjoy dedicated spaces designed just for them. Indulge in a massage at Census Spa or take a dip in Quiet Cove, an adult exclusive pool. Don't worry, the kids are having some me time of their own at incredible kids clubs. And there's amazing we time, like entertainment, imaginative dining, character encounters, and more around every corner. A magical vacation at sea awaits on Disney Cruise Line. You are the present moment. In this podcast, Eckhart gives a brief talk on his signature teaching, The Power of Presence, and then answers questions from the audience. He says, the important thing to understand is the presence that inhabits our bodies. It's not something that is external to us. It is the essence of us. He says the secret and the mystery of the present moment is that we are the present moment. Welcome, everybody. Wonderful to be with you. Here we are again in the present moment. So we might as well become aware of the present moment. How do you do that? Some people are thinking. The entry point into the present moment or present moment awareness is sensory perception what you see, hear, or other senses may be involved to a lesser extent, mostly what you see and hear right now. Be aware of that without labeling it mentally. And what you're aware of is the surface of reality. One could say, the surface of the ocean of being. So your attention is in sense perceptions. And then you notice the attention itself, which is the consciousness that makes sense perception possible. And that's, that's of course very subtle because it's not an object. You notice the subject behind all objects of consciousness. Consciousness is the eternal subject. Whatever is being perceived or thought or felt is the object of consciousness. So your entire world arises as objects of consciousness, as sense perceptions, then also a more abstract reality, which is conceptual thinking, and there's the emotional reality, feeling within yourself. These arise and subside. Sense perceptions depend on where you are and what you happen to be directing your sense of perception towards. The changes, of course, you can look at the ceiling, I can look out of the window, whatever. 
So sense perceptions, you can become aware of your inner perceptions too, the inner object of consciousness, thoughts. There goes one, it clumps and then it subsides. Emotions, whatever you may be feeling right now is an object of consciousness. And that's fine. This is what you feel right now. But in addition to what you feel at this very moment, there is something else that is bigger than what you feel. And that is the consciousness through which you feel what you feel. To become aware of this awareness itself, which is you ultimately, the essence of you. You become aware of yourself as the perceiving consciousness. And that presence, you sense it as, a, as an inner thing. And then you may begin to notice that this, the presence that you feel is, is all around you too. It's not, there's no distinction anymore between inside and outside. There is a presence that pervades the universe. It pervades your body, pervades the space. You could say it is the space because the space is not anything either. Space isn't an object. Consciousness isn't an object. You cannot grasp it. You can't say it's here or it's there. So becoming aware of the present moment is ultimately becoming aware of yourself, the deeper levels of yourself, the deeper level of yourself, the deeper dimension of yourself. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If you travel, you know how to pull off a perfect getaway. You know after you enroll with your Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card, you get up to $10 back monthly on U.S. rideshare purchases with select providers, like a car to the airport. You know which remote retreats have the best herbal baths and where the Wi-Fi password is rarely used because you're the escape artist. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Purchases must be on card. Visit go.amic slash you know. Building a stronger financial foundation? Good plan. Northwestern Mutual's Guide to Good Financial Planning can help you balance spending and saving, set goals, and start creating the life you want to be living. You'll learn how the tools in your financial plan reinforce each other to help you minimize taxes and offset potential risks. Grow your confidence by strengthening your finances today at northwesternmutual.com slash goodplan. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And so as you become aware of the present moment, you feel this presence that pervades you, that is all around you, that the universe is no longer an inanimate thing that is there around you. It's an alive presence. Everything has aliveness in it, the aliveness of it. The, there's something this, that holds the atoms and molecules together of any form. A vast intelligence that operates and manifests as form temporarily 
and at some point it withdraws and then the form dissolves. For example, I've shown this, it's a pebble. Now it's very smooth. There's tiny, tiny sparkles. There's some crystallization happening, almost invisible, tiny sparkles in there. And it's very smooth and you can, this is tactile sensory perception. You can, you can feel that it's almost something alive in you. But of course, everybody would say, well, this is an inanimate thing. Inanimate means it has no life. But is that true? Minerals, the old mineral realm, which is how Earth started, apparently. It started as, at first, there was no, not even the plant life. They were just, it was just mineral life. Well, most humans don't call it life. But physicists then eventually discovered if you penetrate deeply into even a so-called inanimate object, it is intensely alive because there's a vast universe in there of atoms and molecules in motion in vast spaces in between. So it's it's continuously, it's, it looks like something, but it's a process. It's something that life is doing in a very slow way compared to us. It's something that life is doing. Ultimately, there are no things. They're all, only processes. They're all events in consciousness. So even the pebble is an event in consciousness. It's a form consciousness takes. And so from our point of view, we could say, what is it that gives it this shape that holds, that holds the molecules together in this particular shape. You could ask the same question, your body is infinitely more complex than the pebble in its atomic molecular structure. And yet there too, there's something that there's an organizing principle behind form that enables form to be, and that is an, a vast intelligence, this organizing principle behind, that inhabits your body too all the functions of the body, the vast intelligence is required to coordinate the countless functions in your body every moment, the exact temperature of the blood, the, uh, the digestive system, the air moving into your body every moment into the lungs, what the lungs do with it, the chemical laboratory in your stomach, highly advanced, the, the immune system of the body that looks out for invaders. If you had to do it, no human intelligence could do that. It's goes far beyond anything human intelligence could do. The, an intelligence inhabits your body, enables your body to be. And at some point, the intelligence withdraws. And the atoms and molecules are no longer held together by the organizing principle of this vast intelligence. And then it doesn't take long before they, they say, okay, we might as well go our separate ways. And that's called the body decays very quickly. <laughs> and that's called death. But all it means is something withdrew from the body. The most important thing is not just to talk about it, but to sense the presence that inhabits your body and that inhabits the entire 
all forms in the universe, the presence of consciousness in everything. So there's a tiny, tiny glimmer of consciousness in this pebble here too, just less than a millions, millions of human consciousness. And at some point, this also will dissolve at some point, but it could take a long time. In 2000 years, if there are no external influences, this pebble will still look exactly the same. And if there are no external influence in 10,000 years, it will still look exactly the same. And then perhaps in 100,000 years or half a million years, it would eventually also dissolve. So the important thing in all this is to sense that presence that inhabits your body, not as something external to you, but as the essence of you. For example, you can you breathe in, you feel the breath moving into the body, and that makes it easier to feel the aliveness that pervades the body as you feel the And thinking subsides for a moment, but you're fully conscious. And that's presence. And that's the present moment. That's why it's called presence. So the secret and mystery of the present moment is that essentially, and in essence, you are the present moment. The one thing that never changes, it's always now. The unconditioned conscious presence that does not exist ultimately in this dimension. It does not exist at all. Exist means stand out to be manifested. It pops out into the into this the surface of being. There it exists. Prior to existence is being. And being is not part of this dimension. It kind of shines into this dimension like sunlight shines down here, but being is is transcendent to this dimension. So who you in essence are is a transcendent, the transcendent being prior to existence. And therefore there have been some mystics also that, that said, largely misunderstood, God does not exist, which means God is not something that is manifested in this dimension of space and time. God doesn't, he, she, it doesn't stand out. And you can't say, oh, God is, where's God? Oh, there. <laughs> God is transcendent to this. Now, is God consciousness? Yes and no. The way I put it is, God is unknowable. God is beyond anything that he could know or talk about. It, but this source that is beyond anything that could be known, the source of all life, emanates into this dimension, so to speak. <laughs> I'm trying to explain something that cannot be put into words. What it emanates is consciousness in the same way that the sun emanates light. Is the light the sun? Yes and no. Is consciousness God? Yes and no. It's an emanation. You are an emanation of the one. And to know that you are not intellectually, but 
to sense that the essence of you is that emanation. That's of course the the end of fear. Until you know yourself as that, there must be some fear, often quite a bit of fear, because you still don't know. You're kind of a disconnected fragment in a threatening universe, <laughs> floating around, threatened by other disconnected fragments, seemingly disconnected fragments. <laughs> So let's go on to the first question. Here is my question. They say that the eyes are the windows to the soul. It can feel like seeing the whole universe just by looking into someone's eyes. Is there a transmission happening when we look into another person's eyes? Or is it just witnessing a silent presence as a model that helps us allow for the space within ourselves to let whatever is happening to happen. Thank you, thank you. Good, very good question. There is a kind of transmission. For example, let's say when you look into somebody else's eyes, whether or not the other person is aware of that, let's just assume that the other person is aware of it and has agreed that he or she wants to share a moment of presence with you and you look into each other's eyes. Now, for many people at first, it's an uncomfortable thing. So you have to kind of surrender to that moment and let go of thought of any kind of mental interpretation if you can be still and present and look into somebody else's eyes, there's a sharing of presence. There's a field of presence that arises where you, you look at the other person is no longer perceived as other. You merge into one in your perception, self-perception. It can be a very powerful way of connecting in a relationship if you do it occasionally, because otherwise in the relationship, you have just personalities. And in many relationships, there's never any transcendence of the personalities, the conditioned personalities. There's never a moment of shared presence, which could also, it doesn't have to be looking into each other's eyes. There can be a moment of shared presence when you're sitting together, just being, or you're out in nature and you're contemplating the sky together. Whenever the, the mind is not involved and you still, you don't feel uncomfortable. In fact, you feel a togetherness, a connectedness without the involvement of thought structures. And it goes even beyond emotions. When you look into another person's eyes, perhaps sometimes it happens at first as you don't go beyond thought, you might encounter an emotional level. Sometimes for a little while, people get quite emotional when you look into somebody's eyes. There's a layer of emotion. Some people even get tearful. And then you can even drop beyond that, and then you find presence. So sometimes it's, there's three levels involved for people when you when you gazing is the word, not to be confused with staring. <laughs> It's good that the English language has those two words to differentiate. 
because staring obviously involves a personality. Staring wants something from you or wants to impose something and you go. But gazing is very different. There's an openness there. So gazing into another's eyes. At first, there's a discomfort in many people and still the mind is still active. Oh, this feels so weird. It's so weird. I can't do this, says the mind. I don't want to do this. And then you let go of those thoughts. And then you might get a layer of emotion. Oh, you suddenly feel very good about the other person or you or you or something else comes up you remember what he or she did yesterday it wasn't, wasn't good or whatever it may be and then you let go of that and then you can just be in still presence and just there's a stillness descends but an alert stillness and there's just consciousness left no longer mine or yours and that can be very a lovely meditation Naturally, when I look at another human being, I look at the other human being without any unnecessary thought. I'm saying unnecessary because a little bit of thought may be necessary. For example, I had a haircut yesterday. So obviously I had to talk to the person cutting my hair to explain, and sometimes we have a conversation uh, she tells me about her life and adventures. And then there are other times when I just, and sometimes I look at her in the mirror. <laughs> she may not even know that. And there's no thought. There's just, I can sense her presence. She's no longer a hairdresser doing her hair. I can sense the being beyond the personality. And that's wonderful. So any interaction with human beings, I use thought when it's needed, but I love just being present with another person without any mental judgment whatsoever. Now, not everybody is yet able to kind of do that because the mind has its own momentum, but it can be for a while a practice. You let go of judgments. It's a practice until it becomes a natural thing so that when you meet another human being, you don't, primary, you don't immediately go into judgment like, dislike, or some kind of suspicion, or whatever it may be. Who is he really? What does he want? What do you, you just allow that human being to be without imposing anything. And that's a wonderful sense of connectedness and oneness. And this, this is where empathy arises. As long as there is a mental judgment, there's not really any empathy with another human being because you're judging the conditioned entity. Empathy means that you must have some access to that which is beyond the conditioned entity. You can sense the being of the other beyond the personality, which is sometimes there are cases, of course, where the personality is ex extraordinarily dense, like a very cloudy sky, and that makes it a little bit more difficult to sense the being. But uh, even there, it is possible. It, it, it requires a more intense presence and that sometimes happens when you meet very difficult people or people who are aggressive towards you. That requires a much more intense presence not to be reactive in that situation and realize beyond conceptualization that this person is acting out their conditioning. There's nobody else, there's nobody really there. It's just a karmic entity acting out its conditioning. We call it a person. 
<laughs> Beyond that, there's a there's a being. There's a it, everybody is the child of God in theistic language. No matter how veiled, how dense the veils are, and they may not ever know that in this lifetime, but eventually they will know it. Awakening happens. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If you travel, you know when it comes to love. See you soon. Can't wait. The sky is no limit. You know with your Delta Amex card, being oceans apart means meeting in Aruba. And booking a war travel with your card means saving 15% on Delta flights. You know kissing under the bridge of sighs guarantees eternal love. Because you're the long-distance lovebirds. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Takeoff 15, discount not applicable to partner-operated flights or taxes and fees. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know. So when I look at you, there's no thought, obviously, in my mind. At the end of a session, sometimes, as you know, for many minute to there's stillness and presence. I'm looking, there's no thought, it's just still presence. And then is there a transmission there? Or is it just, as you say, a modeling of presence? In a way, both, but there is a transmission. Now, how can that happen? How can that happen? I can see there's a transmission when two people come together or you go to a spiritual teacher sometimes. The spiritual teacher may just look at you as, for example, Ramana Maharshi, wonderful spiritual teacher, lived in the first half of the 20th century in India. He Very often people would come to him with questions and quite often he wouldn't answer. He would just look at you. And some for some people that was very frustrating and others found that very enlightening because immediately the question dissolved and, and there was a transmission. Now it's understandable that somebody who is very present can awaken or intensify the presence that is also in you. That of course can happen when you are together with that person, but you don't have to be together. Now, how does it happen here? You might ask, does the presence travel to everybody who's watching, it doesn't work like that. Consciousness is not subject to space distances in this dimension of space and time. Consciousness beyond space and time. So there can be a transmission in consciousness. This doesn't mean that consciousness has to travel from here to wherever you are, because it's already there. Consciousness has no there's no there's no distance and no time so there is a transmission in consciousness it doesn't need to travel even if one of you or if some of you were on planet mars it would be the same it doesn't depend on what we see as spatial consciousness is transcendent to space and time and as humans evolve one day or gradually we will realize the infinite possibilities of consciousness 
so that we will be able to establish connection with a human being easily, even on maybe not a human being, uh, other beings in another planetary system or the Andromeda galaxy. Andromeda galaxy is the closest galaxy to our Milky Way galaxy. <laughs> and light, which is the fastest thing, it's not a thing there is, traveling at 300,000 kilometers per second, takes about, I've forgotten exactly, more than 200,000 years to, to reach the Andromeda galaxy or to travel from the Andromeda galaxy to here. And that's the closest galaxy to our own. Takes light more, 200,000 or, 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 or 250,000 or 300,000 years to travel. And in consciousness, it would take no time because consciousness is transcendent to this universe, the manifested universe. So yes, there. in that sense, one could say there is a transmission, but uh, it can also happen if you can just look at a photo of somebody in the state of presence. There's a famous photo of Ramana Maharshi that was taken. Some people find that very helpful. They look at him and they immediately sense their own presence through. And that's really what it is. You sense your presence suddenly. And it's not yours, I just call it that for the sake of using language where in this world we appear as separate beings. So you can sense the presence in you. It's not mine and I'm not doing anything. <laughs> and this event here with us, many people coming together here, there is a transmission, not just from me, all contribute to that. So this event that's taking place in, through technology, but in part, but of course involves human beings in different, different parts of the planet, is part of the awakening consciousness. It consciousness gradually awakens in this dimension, it, which means it comes more fully into this dimension. It doesn't awaken, we just use those words. It comes, more light comes into this dimension and then the beings in this dimension gradually become more complex, more conscious. This is the evolutionary process. <laughs> well, thank you for your question. Hi Eckhart. Um, I very much appreciate the opportunity to connect with you this way. And I really love the way you started out tonight's session with reference to rocks and stones and minerals, because uh, I'm a geologist by training. And now I feel totally guilty about all the rocks that I've hit with a rock hammer and a sledgehammer all the way through my career, knowing they had a, a level of consciousness. So. <laughs> anyway, so my question involves um, the dissolving of the body and awareness. So when the body dies, what happens to awareness, the deep eye? Does it rejoin the collective consciousness that underlies all of creation? 
or does it may maintain some sort of individuality? And the reason I ask that is because I find it difficult to reconcile that idea with the concept of reincarnation and karma, which suggests that awareness retains some sort of individuality and returns to inhabit another form to continue its journey of evolution of consciousness. So I wonder if you'd help me reconcile those two lines of thinking. Oh, yes, thank you. Very good and complex question. So let's start with that with reincarnation. Is there such a thing as reincarnation? Uh, then how do you reconcile that with uh, consciousness? What is it, if there is reincarnation, what is it that reincarnates? Is it the person? Well, one way of putting it is that um, what reincarnates is all the things that make up the illusory sense of self. So ultimately, what reincarnates is the illusion of being a separate person with all its des desires, its accumulated desires and other tendencies. In order to really understand this, we would need to understand the whole purpose of the universe because everything is connected. The, as above, so below. The microcosm that you are and your role in this universe as a human being is intimately connected and one with the whole purpose of the totality of the universe. In order to really deeply understand this whole matter, you would have to understand the entire purpose of the universe, which is impossible. We can only have approximations. All I can say, it is a little bit like this. It is a little bit like that. Don't overestimate what the human mind, the capability of the human conceptual mind, there's another deeper mind. The, the conceptual mind cannot understand how the universe functions and what its purpose is. It's, it's vast, it's unbelievably vast. So what I'm describing now is not the ultimate truth, but it's a way of approaching the truth limited way of understanding the whole function of the universe. The universal consciousness incarnates into form. It takes on form and that becomes this dimension here. So the, that which inhabits form is the one consciousness. It, it gradually creates for itself, so to speak, gradually more complex forms because it gradually comes more fully into this dimension, this is how this universe comes into being. Gradually, the Big Bang didn't happen, it's still happening. It's the movement into form, com increasing complexity of life forms. The universe, why is the universe doing that? I don't know, we can't go there. We cannot understand that. Or we can say it seems that it wants to experience it's the one consciousness wants to experience itself as a universe. And maybe there are many other universes. It goes into form and it, that includes the human form. But the, the experience in that experience, the universe consciousness loses self-awareness. It identifies with form so fully that it gradually loses its connectedness, awareness of its connectedness to the one. So in a, that is the dream. 
in a way, this universe is being dreamt by the one consciousness. All the forms that, are, that arise and subside and arise and subside gradually become more complex. It's a dream that gradually becomes more complex. And there's a dreamer. The dreamer is the one consciousness. And the dreamer is completely identified with up to a point. The dreamer, which is the one consciousness, is completely identified with a dream and every form in the dream. How do I know that? because I've investigated within myself. You can find many answers to universal questions if you go deeply into yourself. To some extent, you can learn about the, where the universe is going by observing where you are going, where your consciousness is going. For a long time, I, and millions and millions, you and millions and millions and billions of others, for a long time, I was completely identified with the forms, the conditioned entity, me, the person. I was completely identified with this, with the conditioning. Every emotion, every thought that arises, I was it. Consciousness at some point awoke out of the dream and realized itself beyond the dream. So there was an awakening happening from being totally captivated by the dream totally identified with the dream to suddenly realizing that which is beyond the dream, which is the dreamer, which is consciousness, which is I, which is the deep I. <laughs> I realize that, and now many others also realize that, that is part of the awakening of the universe where the dream of form gradually leads to an awakening. And in that awakening, the universe which is consciousness, knows itself in a way perhaps that it hadn't known itself before to use limited language. So that the purpose then is the awakening. Your purpose is the awakening of consciousness, a disidentification of form. Now, perhaps many humans have very little of that. Perhaps there are little glimpses of awakening in a normal human lifetime. But mostly the dream of form continues. And you know it with people who totally identify with every thought that arises and every reaction that comes up, every emotional reaction which is conditioned. I mean, you can watch people in movies or in real, in real life. Everything is just absolutely so real. The, the person is, and so every, there's fear and there's anger and complete identification. There's no separation whatsoever, or perhaps through suffering, Occasionally, there are little glimpses of, and, and then immediately the conditioning takes over again. And this is many lifetimes of humans who are not uh, engaged in the actual awakening process, but even in them, glimpses of awakening happen in every. But a lot of the, the human entity, which is the, the dream of form, does not awaken, and there's an enormous to use Eastern terminology, there's a enormous karma behind it, accumulated stuff from the past, this karmic entity with all its desires and e even the egoic self, which is the, the, the dream, wants to dream again. <laughs> that is what reincarnates. The illusion of the person reincarnates. And gradually the illusion awakens. 
suddenly or gradually over many lifetimes, the illusion, which is the person, the illusory self, which reincarnates through suffering and in the various reincarnations, awakens to, to its true nature, which is timeless consciousness. <laughs> you Now you may ask, so is then all individuality lost? Do I disappear? No, that which is most essentially you, that is which is at the very bottom of the very foundation of your sense of beingness, that is never lost because there is the essence of who you are. Then of course, there is an entire entity that consists of memories and all kinds of things, narratives that make up the sense of self that of course does not survive for very long, but what lies underneath it, the strong tendencies also to want to experience more of form. I often say to people, if they ask about reincarnation, uh, you can discover the truth of reincarnation every moment. You don't have to wait until you die because as, when you are completely identified with every thought that arises, which means there is a sense of self that gets trapped in every thought. Consciousness gets trapped in every thought that arises. You're completely identified. The dream is overpowering. That means every time you identify with a thought or an emotion, you reincarnate, you incarnate into that thought and into that emotion. You become it or you think you are it. <laughs> so the very unconscious people who are completely identified with every thought and emotion that arises, that in the grip of their conditioning, <laughs> it's a dreamlike state, they continuously reincarnate into thoughts and emotions. They, uh, they become it. And those people, of course, very there's an enormous urge when the body dissolves for this energy field that is formed still to experience more of the same. <laughs> Sometimes it wants more suffering or whatever, more drama, please. I need another dramatic lifetime. <laughs> this is one way of looking at it. One could also, sometimes analogies can be quite helpful, but although they're limited, let's say you are an iceberg that floats in the ocean. You only see about 10% of it above the water line. 90% of the iceberg is underwater. You don't see it. Let's say that you are such an iceberg. So the, there's the part that you see, and there's the part that you don't see. And the part that you don't see is all the thoughts, the conditioning, even the, the thoughts that you're not having at this very moment are unseen. Even the simplest things like, what's your telephone number? Now, of course, a second ago, you were not aware of your telephone number. It was under the water, <laughs> so to speak. Now, when I ask you, you can retrieve it, and then it rises up to consciousness. So, so there's a vast unconscious part of who you are, which is the iceberg underneath. Now, the iceberg is ice. It's floating in this vast ocean. And in essence, it's, it is no other than the ocean. But it seems to be other because it vibrates at a certain frequency that makes it solid, but it's still water. And even the person is still consciousness. 
but it's it is a vibrated such a frequency that it seems to be something different. Now, let's carry on this analogy one step further. <laughs> now, if you have observed icebergs, occasionally an iceberg is well, it floats around. Now it gradually melts, of course, and that's an interesting part of our analogy. It gradually loses its its heaviness and its weight gradually. But and but as it continues floating, occasionally it topples over. And as it topples over, it might very briefly disappears under the under the in the water completely, and then it reemerges and looks a little bit different. Different part of it comes up, so it topples over, and then and there it is again, and it reemerges. That could be an analogy for the process of reincarnation of dying and then being reborn but in this gradual process there is a an evolutionary develop evolutionary development and that is gradually the heaviness of this contracted entity that is the iceberg gradually merges with the ocean it warms up it becomes more conscious gradually and loses the illusion of separateness. And when it's lost the illusion of separateness completely, it doesn't need to reincarnate anymore because nothing there to reincarnate. But in that process, to bring this analogy to a conclusion, <laughs> somehow the ocean needed the iceberg. It needed to experience itself as the iceberg and when the iceberg dissolves, it returns something to the ocean. It's no longer just the same in this analogy. It's no longer, it's no longer just the same water that was there before. There is something to, because it went through this whole process, this long process of reincarnating again and again. And there was a learning process, a deepening of self-awareness through the suffering of being an independent, seemingly independent entity, autonomous, but it wasn't. The suffering gradually brought about consciousness. So the iceberg returns consciousness to the ocean. That it, This is why the ocean needs the iceberg. This is obviously an analogy that is limited as all analogies are, but it can be a little glimpse of how this whole thing functions and why you are here and so on. I hope this is a, although limited, a somewhat satisfactory explanation. <laughs> no, Eckhart, I thank you very much. And I understand that you were struggling to try and explain the unexplainable. So yes. the analogies were hugely helpful, especially the one about the iceberg. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I remember every now and then you refer to the movie, The Matrix, and I always remember the character that decides, makes a conscious decision to return to The Matrix because that's where he really enjoys it. So right. thank you very much, Eckhart. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening.
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If you travel, you know how to pull off a perfect getaway. You know after you enroll with your Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card, you get up to $10 back monthly on U.S. rideshare purchases with select providers, like a car to the airport. You know which remote retreats have the best herbal baths and where the Wi-Fi password is rarely used because you're the escape artist. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Purchases must be on card. Visit go.mx slash you know.